Hey, Matt here with Expedition 44. Uh, so glad you guys are back with us. Sorry that we've been on a bit of a hiatus for a little bit. Um, no, Ryan and I are not fighting. We've been <laughs> pretty busy and uh, I've been finishing up my doctorate degree. I graduated last weekend and so that's pretty exciting. You can see if you're watching the video, um, doc, it's right over there. Um, so finished my dissertation, graduated. Uh, Ryan is coming out with a new book soon. So we have been super busy over the summer. So uh, we haven't been recording a whole lot of podcasts, but we have a lot of good things to come. We have Dr. Carmen Imes coming back on with her new book, um, Being God's Image. In the next week or so, we'll have an interview with her. Um, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about my dissertation also. Uh, do an episode on that, and then we're jumping back into the church series, finishing up our fivefold giftings series. We're going to do the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, and then go into a few things about reimagining how we do church. So that's kind of the agenda going forward. Um, this is a little bit of a prelude for um, an interview I had with a pastor friend of mine, uh, Matt Stevenson, he's the pastor at uh, Lakeview Assembly of God in Hot Springs, Arkansas. He and I were both in Frank Viola's pastoral mentorship group last year for about a year. We became great friends. He is an amazing guy. Um, he's kind of a representative in his area uh, for the Assemblies of God, and they're dealing with, even though they've affirmed women in ministry for about 150 years in the Assemblies of God, um, still dealing with some ecumenical issues there. And he's um, just trying to put out a resource of dealing with some of the problem texts that he's been dealing with, with uh, some of the pastors in his area for giving some exegetical ground for uh, affirming women in ministry. And so that this is a little bit of a prelude for for that episode. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Matt is a great guy. You should check out his church. Um, yeah, Lakeview Assembly, Hot Springs, Arkansas. Um, I'll try to post a link to their website in the footnotes. His sermons are amazing. He is a great guy and their church is doing some amazing things. Um, so anyways, thanks for joining us. We've got some good things coming up soon with expedition 44 thanks for hanging with us and for being patient with us during this season where uh we've been a little bit busy so anyways um hope you enjoy this episode god bless you and keep you and we'll have some more stuff coming at you soon um let's get kicked off here this is my friend um dr matt muzakis feels good to say that and uh just such a special guy um more than his education and what he knows, but just who you are. And I just want to honor you as, as like my friend. Um, Thanks man. And I really appreciate, you know, you're giving us your time and just being a resource to kind of tackle a subject that, that I've really become passionate about over the last year or so. Um, three years ago, I would have been on the other side of the fence. Um, um, so like the last three years has really been a journey for me. Um, on this topic of, of women in ministry, but I think, uh, being in a movement, uh, the assemblies of God that has ordained women for, you know, a lot of years, 
um, I saw women evangelists come through and, and were powerful and we honored and celebrated them. I saw women in the platform behind pulpits and uh, I've preached revivals for women pastors and never thought anything about it. Um, but in a conversation, I was in a, was in a pastor's coffee meeting and there was people from different backgrounds, Catholic, non-denom, Lutheran, Baptist, different, um, different tribes, different streams. And when we were discussing, um, women in ministry, cause it was the hot button topic with the SBC and, and their decision to expel Rick Warren, uh, for him ordaining women. When I started to articulate and basically say the, well, guys, the Bible is what led me there. I was like, people are afraid that when you begin to let women in ministry, that's the first domino to fall. And then scriptural integrity falls. And then now suddenly we're worldly because we, we bargained on this issue. What else will we turn a blind eye to? And, mm-hmm. and so when I said, actually, guys, it was the Bible that got me there. It's like, I'm, I believe in women in ministry because of the Bible, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And they were like, they leaned in and go, and one of the ministers leaned in and said, can you articulate this? I've never heard anyone say that. And so then I thought, wow. So what I've took for granted based on my movement, celebrating and promoting and honoring women, um, I didn't realize that it had not been a case, a biblical case that's not just common sense or or visceral and passionate, but just a really a biblical approach to like exegeting certain scriptures that would seem to yeah. contradict that reality. Um, I had no idea. So I was like kind of taken off guard. So I start in Genesis one, the identic ideal, and I'm trying to like working my way through it. And I feel like I'd got the room where their heart was like, yes, but their mind was like, still, I want to say yes, but I can't, you know? Um, And there was a few scriptures, I think mainly probably first Timothy two and um, a few other scriptures in there, maybe Ephesians five, the last part of the Ephesians five. And that had kind of put people in a position to be like, you know, I just can't ignore these two things. And so I thought, man, I need to get my friend who is a Bible scholar to get on here, walk us through these passages, because here's the deal. If the Bible says the other way, I'm going the other way. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So it's like, I'm not trying to be like, make a case to do what I want. I was like, Bible, Bible lead us, Paul lead us here in what, and what is, um, and where we should go. And so that's kind of what birthed all this. And so thanks so much for jumping on and taking time out of your busy schedule to, to kind of really walk us through, um, these texts and to help us, uh, kind of understand what the Bible is trying to say about women in ministry and serving in ministerial leadership roles. Yeah, no problem, Matt. I'm I'm just honored to come on and talk with you and oh, for sure. help however I can. That's kind of my passion is just equipping the, the church. I'm I'm for those of you who don't know me and probably nobody in your movement knows me. Um I I grew up kind of in a non-denominational Baptist-ish background. Um kind of got rebellious in my uh my high school years and went to an assemblies of God church. And, (laughs) (laughs) and so, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely like passionate about like kind of the spirit filled movements and that, and, um, but also passionate like you about the text of scripture. Um, Mm. So it's, and I came to this view of women in ministry, like you 
of affirming them in that through studying the text of scripture. And especially since in my master's degrees in ancient languages, and when I learned Greek and really dug in and re-examined these scriptures of like, what do these words mean in Greek? What do they say? It changed my entire view on women in ministry when I that's that. what can i just say something that's what i love about you is like somebody will be like have some case and you're like well let's pull out the greek new testament and then we'll we'll look at it together and then people's like jaw drops and i'm like oh my <laughs> gosh in front of me here. <laughs> what a what a blessing for the church to have somebody like this that is um, that's why we need that the, is, the teachers the oh the gosh yes yeah, so good and i just get so excited about that and um so I just honor because I know that stuff doesn't just happen. And I know it's a grace and a gift on your life. Mm -hmm. um, but you got to partner with God in that and work hard and, yep. and look through these things and dig. And sure. so so thank you for digging for the rest of us so yeah. that we can catch up. Uh, <laughs> no and so we can stand on your hard work and say, hey, we're smart, too, because, you know, we've talked to somebody who is actually smart. But um well, but I, I love your I've humility of other people's and, and all hard that. work too. So Th that's it. And we're all standing on the shoulders of somebody. Yeah. And uh, but would you start with even the terms of complementarian? Because when you told me that when we, in our discussion previous, I was like, wow, OK, I didn't even realize that complementarian was not that was our word for egalitarian. And that was kind of can you kind of talk a little bit about that history? Yeah. So now kind of the move is called complementarian, um, which is basically defined as male headship or male authority. Only males can have leadership in the home. Only males can have leadership in the church. Um, and that was actually the term for what's called egalitarians, which is the, the, the group that sees mutual, um, mutual giftings, mutual leadership between the, the sexes of men and women, um, that whatever kind of uh, leadership roles in the church, a man can do, a woman can do, um, that really creation, um, with a Adam and Eve as the priests in the garden was, was mutual, it was co-rulership. Um, and so that's, and yes, men and women aren't the same. <laughs> we know that. Right. right? And I think that's uh, where but, it gets, that's where it gets tricky, right? One, uh, yeah. We compliment one, right. one another. The image of God is male and female together. It's community. We're all made in the image of God, but to truly live out the image of God, image of God is community. And, and that is men and women functioning together as, as a, as the human body that reflects Christ. And, wow. Yeah, but the e the complementarians now, the way they define it, used to be patriarchists or whatever. I don't know what yeah. the exact term, but they kind of took that phrase. It was 1960s, 1970s, and so. But yeah, before that, complementarian was the egalitarian movement. Wow. And there's a whole lot of different like flavors like within that. There's some that go like way For too sure. far in the ditch of feminism, like, and there's some complementarians or patriarchists that go way too far in the ditch of male headship almost to the abuse side of it and the degrading of women so so right. there are it, it's not just like uh black and white there's a there's a spectrum in each. yeah and, and i think for me it's like you know i like the term complementarian because we're not saying that there are, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that we're exactly the same in like every way. And we're trying to do away with the beauty of what a woman is and the, mm -hmm. and the beauty oh, no, no. and the strength of what a man is. Like, we're not saying it's that so what we're saying when they work so together. much more. Exactly. Right. That so the I two are actually one flesh. Yeah. 
And that's why I call myself more a mutualist. Okay. I like that. So mutual okay. submission to one another. And we'll get into the yeah. Ephesians 521 yeah. text in that. But you asked me about First uh, Timothy 2. Yeah, that's let's, let's the, dive in. That's usually the trump card that's like, played on the table. Oh yeah. That was like, the one have, I couldn't really work through this? well. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. So, yeah. so let's read it. Uh, but like one of my catchphrases, and I learned this from one of my pastors who mentored me is never read a Bible verse. Read it in context. Yeah, read totally. Context. Don't just pull a, a verse out of context. So let's look at kind of the context of first Timothy. Oh, for sure. This. Um, for going sure. all the way back to first Timothy chapter one verses uh, three through seven kind of sets what the whole letter is about. And so Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus. There's the church in Ephesus. And he says, um, basically to the whole purpose is that they might correct people who are not, uh, who are teaching different doctrines. And that's the whole context of this. And it says they've devoted themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Um, but he's mm. like, but I want you to aim for the charge of love. And he said that certain people have swerved from basically love and they've wandered into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law, but not understanding it in saying things that they make confident assertions of, but they're wrong. So basically these people want to be teachers, but they haven't learned is the context of it. And that's resulted in false teaching. And that's the whole context of the letter of first Timothy. Um, so when we get like into this actual text and the text we're looking at is first Timothy two, 11 through 14. So I'll read that here. Uh, I think I have the NRSV in front of me right now, but um, pretty much all of them say similar things. Uh, Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent for Adam was formed first and then Eve and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So complementarians will say, oh, well, that's pretty straightforward. So, and even 15, right? Kind of, yeah, yeah, <laughs> kind of that she'll be saved through the childbearing. And oh, yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, yeah, she's a baby factory. And like, yeah, you know, and you're just well, like, whoa, I, I what do I do? With that? The, I would note there that there's a definite article before childbearing. It's the childbearing. So oh, wow. Jesus. Jesus. Come yeah, on. Right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's the childbearing. <laughs> so, oh, I love it. So yeah, like let's just go right from the beginning. Um, okay. Let a, let a, a woman learn in silence and full submission. Now that is the only command in this entire text. Wow, that's the imperative. That's the, that's the imperative. It's the only command in this entire text. I do not permit a woman to teach her that. It's indicative. It's not a command. Mm. So, which means that it is contingent on whatever the command is. Mm. So the first thing that it says is that a woman must learn in, in silence and submission. Now, what I would say is, all right, let's go look at this time in the culture. Uh, women really didn't go to school. They were kind of homebodies. And so Paul's command here for a woman to learn is really liberating. Wow. Women so it's like, it's cutting learn. edge. In our context, yep. we'd say, oh, that's behind. But in his yep. context, this is radical. This is radical. Wow. And what is the posture of a student, Matt? Silence, mm. right? So you can learn and submission to what you're being taught. Wow. At the feet. At the feet. Learning at the feet of Jesus. Learning at the feet wow. of Paul. Learning at the feet of the teachers in the church. G Gamaliel. So Paul learned at the feet of Gamaliel. So here we're seeing yeah. that same thing from a woman to actually yeah. learn is like a huge deal. Yep. Yeah. And so that is the command wow. of the text that the women must learn. 
Wow. And that, it, it's and it's a really strict command. It's that they must learn. All the women are to learn in the church. Wow. And so that's right off the bat. Now, the second thing is, is that I do not permit a woman to teach or to uh, have authority of the man. She is, she is to be silent. So that goes back to the silence of learning. So basically if the woman it's at this, at this time is probably a better translation of it there because it's not a, um, it's indicative, but it's also an aorist tense and it's uh, some other stuff in, in Greek. I won't bore your other pastors with all the Greek stuff there, but there are scholars who have argued since this is not a command and the, the, the verbiage, the way that the grammar is constructed in Greek, it's um, contingent. And so it's at this time. It's not um, in perfect tense. Like when Jesus says, it is finished, that's in perfect tense. It's now, tomorrow, and forever. Wow. But this is not in in that tense. So it's it's a temporary. This is like a past time, tense with the aorist. Is thing. that right? Oh, time yeah. bound. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that's time bound. So is Paul just speaking to this church? And note here, Paul doesn't say the Lord says. Paul says, I say. Hmm. Wow. So is this just to that church in Ephesus with these certain women that are teaching something false until not able to teach until they've learned? And can you get into what you were sharing with me about the Artem, uh, the cult, the Artemis, Temple of yeah. Artemis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because Artemis I think that had... that plays into this Ephesus um, yeah, so situation. Yeah, Ar- so the Artemis cult had a female priesthood. And so some believe that um, since maybe they've been converted out of the Artemis cult, they're coming into the church assuming since they were priests in their previous religion that they get to be the leaders now. But they haven't actually learned the ways of Yahweh. They're teaching the myths and endless genealogies from the beginning of Artemis instead of teaching the context of the Hebrew Bible. And and this and with Artemis, help help me understand because I think what you had told me, and I don't want to misquote you, but that Artemis actually was t- thought to become before yep, her brother. The other her before her brother. So when yep, Paul so. is talking about Adam came before Eve. It's that he's actually that he's correcting the myth and and what you pointed out in first timothy where he's like endless myths and are these endless genealogies and myths mm-hmm. that paul is coming back and correcting them pointing them back to the hebrew god and and genesis of like here's how it actually happened yep and and was the artemis cult like they they couldn't even, men couldn't even go in there right like the women were the leader or what um, was the men kind of could um but not as but they didn't have male priesthood got you so these converting out of that temple really yeah there's some really sketchy stuff with the men there because artemis was the god of uh reproduction oh we can imagine what was going on imagine some of the stuff going on there with the the men that would come in there because they would have to go make a sacrifice quote unquote to artemis in order to ensure safe childbearing wow so here we have another childbearing, like the child's already been born, born Quit messing yes. with this Artemis reality yeah. of this other stuff. So all this is bleeding into the church. And so Paul's fighting doctrine, not women here. Yep, basically. Yeah. And so um, the thing with um, the word authority there, authority over man, this is what's called in Greek, a hapax legomena, which means it's a one word occurrence is the only time this word occurs in the entire Bible. Oh, so that's really hard because you cannot cross-reference it. The usual <laughs> word for authority, exousia, arche, time, any of those Greek words that 
mean authority, like in the Greco-Roman world, this isn't one of them. And yet it's translated as authority. We do, it. it's a verb here. We have it as a noun two times outside the Bible, um, once in Philo and once in Josephus. It's in the context of Herod killing his three sons, who he thinks are trying to steal the throne in Philo. And with Josephus, it's what Cain did to Abel. So this is something God wouldn't have wanted a man to, to do over a woman. Yeah. So this would go, this is a universal command for just humanity. Yeah. Like nobody I mean, should be over someone verses. and murder. Yeah. Look back a couple of verses. It says, I do not like, I don't want men to pray in anger. Hmm. Yeah. I want them to lift holy hands. So Paul's an opportunity, uh, equal opportunity offender when it comes to anger and violence between the men and the women here in the same chapter. So this is what he's saying when he's like, your prayers aren't going to be heard is that he's talking about this kind of idea of both parties trying to fight for power and control over one another. And he's like, yep. I, I condemn it on this side, but I condemn it on this side as well. Yep. And so yeah, he's so like, that, yeah, mm -hmm. wow. yeah, he's condemning it on both sides. If you'll read the whole context, that's why I say never read a scripture verse. <laughs> so um, that's a yeah, noble so the, idea. <laughs> yeah. So the, <laughs> The whole context wow. here, if I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, not a command in Greek, it's contingent on learning. So the women and it's not uh, uh, in the Greek grammar, something that's forever. It's time. It's contingent on, on learning, like I said. So when the women learn, then the women can teach. Wow. So, so would this be a picture of for this time, given the situation of Ephesus, Call a timeout. Mm -hmm. Let everyone sit under an elder that is schooled. And then once they get a handle on and are kind of detoxed from Artemis and these kind of yep. pagan That's ideals, <laughs> then you guys can be promoted into that place. So at this time or right now, I need you guys to just hit a pause and I need you to submit to the eldership, which would be Timothy at Chapter that time. Three. Yeah, and, and then chapter three wow. goes into what the elders should do. That's why it flows right into the eldership in the next chapter. Oh, perfect. Yeah, that's what qualifications for, for overseers, elders. Yeah. yeah. So he's so, not letting these women who are teaching false things be elders. Yeah. He's not letting the men who are angry be elders. And it's not based on gender. It's based on experience, on growth, on maturity, and a yep. lot of other factors. Not, okay, you're a woman, you're out. It's, whoa, this is what's going on in Ephesus okay, I need you guys to call a timeout. Then once you get in that position, then we can start to see what the giftings begin to come up and rise up yeah. and go from and there. The, well, the last thing in this passage, which people misinterpret, I believe as well, is that Adam was born first, then, then Eve. Yeah, like, yeah, that let's get into that. that. Like like you said, the, um, it's connected a bit to the Artemis cult, but if let's go back and like look at the formation of Adam and Eve. I'm um, like, they, a lot of people interpret this, that, all right, so they're setting up a hierarchy based on the order of creation. Um, let's go look at the actual creation account. I mean, we have back in, in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, men and women are made equally as the image of God. We have then in Genesis 2, 18 to 24, the creation accounts there. Um, we have Adam and Eve both charged to be priests in the garden to work and keep equally. Um, it's not just given to Adam, it's given to Adam and, and Eve, uh, when Eve is made from, um, what some translate the rib, it's actually better 
to say the side, that uh, Hebrew word salah there can mm-hmm. actually, it means the side and not rib. It, it's used quite a few times in the Old Testament. It never once is translated as rib outside of Genesis chapter two. Um, but it is translated as like one half of the temple versus the other half, one part of the ark, half of the ark versus the other half, one side of a hill versus the other side. It's almost like Adam was cut in half. That's oh why it says the gosh. two will become one flesh when they come He's together. Like, so marriage. God's like, the surgery is not a, I'm pulling out a rib. The surgery is I've cut you in half and made two equal parts. Yep. Two equal parts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. And then when it says that oh Eve, is, Eve is the helpmate, it's Azer Kenigdo in Hebrew. Mm. Azer is used all throughout the Psalms as God coming to Israel's rescue. It's Israel's ally is God. And unless you can subordinate God below Israel, then you can't subordinate women below men. Wow. And canigno means it's, it's three Hebrew words that um, kind of are combined together. So K is as nigd is um, in front of or a leader. And do means to come beside or to come, come by him. So so, so it's, it's kind of like this to, thing coming of... to lead with you, coming to lead beside you is what it oh, means. Wow. So it's the ally that comes to lead beside you is literally what uh, it could be translated that as help meet. Wow. Yeah. And it then just when we get me. to Genesis, yeah, Genesis <laughs> 316, the curse, uh, what was the curse doesn't come till then. That's the only time in Genesis 316 that you see as a result of the consequences of the, power the fall that basically that men will rule over women. Uh, We believe that Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent, right? And so that's the thing that triggers the renewal of creation and back to the Edenic ideals. And so if it was before Genesis 3.16 that Adam and Eve were mutual in their role as priests in the garden, um, why do we still live by the fall after Jesus's work? Wow. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, the church sure. needs to live as the new creation and not the old one. Wow. So if anything, we're on the forefront of what it yeah. should look like back in Eden, heaven touching earth and us yeah. being the conduits so I always say, of that like, reality. At the fall, we got this downward trajectory until the cross, and then we're on an upward trajectory, which is leading to new creation. So from the cross on, the church should be living the new creation ideals, which we see on the first and last pages of the Bible. Well, that's was the thing that I feel like in conversations with this and, and I want to be humble about it, right? Like I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not the number one expert on truth or anything like that. But in my conversations, I was like, this, this kind of feels, and this is a, probably another discussion, but, but really what started was, I think I was, I was talking to my daughter Kennedy and I was asking her what she wanted to be, you know? And so every pastor wants their kids to be in ministry. I think I'm just like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like that's just, and so I'm talking, she's like, I think she said she wanted to be a a dentist or something like that. And I was like, a dentist. I was like, you don't want to preach the gospel. And she's like, no, only guys do that. And I was like, and I never taught her that. And I'm thinking she's just going by what she's seeing. Mm -hmm. And so she was just making observations subconsciously of what she's seeing. And I was just like, it broke my heart and I just wept. And I go, I was like, baby, you can preach the gospel. 
Like you don't, it doesn't matter if you're a guy or not. It's like you, you can preach the gospel. And then in my conversations with people, Jesus send right after he resurrected, he sent the women first. Yeah. And if we look at the gifts and I know, and, and, and on specifically, I'll just call them offices just to make it uh, where people will kind of understand where we're going here. But, Mm -hmm. but if we look at, you know, apostle prophet, you know, um, and, and let's just look at them hierarchically. And I know that's, where that's a whole different discussion. But when I'm asking friends, I'm like, so are you telling me that a woman could be an apostle, a little a apostle? And they're like, yeah. And a woman could be a prophet. Yeah. And a woman could be an evangelist. Yeah. And a woman could be a teacher. Yeah. And a woman could be a pastor. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. You know, it's like something specific in our Western context that says yes to everything, but to one, no. And I don't really want to get into that because I want us to kind of stay on the path of the scripture, but that's when things started to kind of begin to unravel for me. It's like, why do we say no to this one? But we would say yes to the apostle, which we would say is the more in charge guy, the the pioneer, the the one that Mm -hmm. would pave the way. And then the prophet that like gets their finger in your face, you know, and kind of, and it's like, we'll say yes to all these, but then, but this one role is like, okay, whoa, whoa, can't, can't say that. And then we use pastor interchangeably with elder and overseer and bishop. And and it's like, then it gets really convoluted, but maybe that's a different podcast or maybe where we can dive into that. But Let's wrap um, up First Timothy two here. So, like, yes. what he's using um, for the context of the Adam and Eve story is that the women in Ephesus are being like Eve and Eve, and were deceived. He's not using it as a thing of, oh, well, Adam was formed first, so he's more in charge because God always chooses the second born, the third born, Joseph, the twelfth born. <laughs> like, wow. I'm like, God usually. So this works. is order, not importance. Yeah, well, he's correcting the Artemis myth, but he's also saying he's using it as a picture of like, all right, you women in Ephesus, you're being like Eve. You were deceived, right? I mean, if we're going off of who is deceived, um, Paul twice, uh, what Romans well, five, through, First Corinthians through, fifteen, Adam, says, oh Adam, one Adam man, was the one who yeah. sinned. Yeah, I'm like, one so Adam's man, all not able made to teach. sinful, right? Right. It's through Adam, all are sinned. Deceived, yeah. Wow. So, so it is, so it's a, so we got to take, we can't just take, isolate these passages. We have to look at the whole overarching theme of scripture and and take into consideration all these other books and passages Mm -hmm. as well. Wow. And and what Paul's so good, man. He's yeah. He's, he's just saying, he's like, yeah, uh, ladies in Ephesus, you're being deceived like Eve. He's not saying that you're more easily deceived than men. Because like Paul uses Adam more than Eve as the progenitor of the fall. And so you can't make that case. And I think this is the make, only time we the see case. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can't, you can't make the authority case either because God usually uses the second born. Wow. So good, Matt. So good. I love seeing you come to life in this, in the Bible and you just kind of light yeah. up. It's amazing. I love it. Um, I love this topic. I'm yeah, about it. So, well, it's so so liberating because you're like, you know, it feels like your heart and your head is coming together in like one mm-hmm. and saying, "Okay, we can agree." How I feel is actually how God feels about this, yep. um, and what He thinks about it. 
Um, let's look at uh, let's look at the first Corinthians and kind of look into that a little bit. Oh, the headquarters. Um, yeah, yeah, eleven new elders. Oh, Either let's way. wherever you want to go, Matt. Let's do it. Oh, we can. Well, let's. Um, I'll, but I'll, I, I can be quick on the eldership thing if you want. Oh no, no, it's good. Uh, it's good. Go for it. Yeah. So that's uh, that's Titus one six through nine, First Timothy three one through that because um yeah. the very next verses after this in first timothy is like the eldership um and so like you said he's he's just he's disqualifying these certain women who are causing trouble in ephesus from being elders and the men who are angry and so that whole passage in first timothy uh chapter three verse one starts out with whoever whoever right whoever like aspires to for the to to be an elder First Timothy three one. If and anyone, that's what I'm saying. If anyone yeah. aspires, yeah. <laughs> and it is who who's the context of oh the previous verses? Uh, women. They're the ones who wow. are the childbearing, it, right? Is, man, this is what it's so. This is it's it's just like how do I not? How did I not see these things? You know, yeah. it's like hidden and in plain sight. Gender, yeah, yeah, and every um. So ESV I think adds fourteen masculine pronouns and possessives into this chapter that aren't there. In the ESV does ESV, which is I headed think, up by the Southern Baptist. Yeah. Uh, NIV, yeah. I think adds 12 in, um, that aren't. So there. a lot of these are gender neutral. They're not Every getting translated one. gender neutral into the English. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. it's they, them, that that's, I mean, they're all, they're all gender neutral pronouns. This entire thing. The only thing that isn't is where people get tripped up on is um, usually it's translated husband of one wife. Right. Um, in in Greek, I believe it's an idiom and I can prove this. Um, it, it's literally in Greek. It's a one woman man. And so wow. you have you have that um, both of an elder and of a deacon. Exact same phrase. Elder and a deacon, you have it in reverse of widows in First Timothy chapter five, a, a one man or a one, so a one man woman basically. Um, so everything here in First Timothy three is all about behavior and virtue and all of that type of stuff, right? And so why would one thing stick out just in the middle of it, which wouldn't be about that, but would be about what kind of sex can lead you know that's where we're putting our preconceived our ideas on the scripture mm -hmm. and saying oh there it is and we're just mm -hmm. looking for what we already believe in a sense yep yeah basically so when when you're going through that that whole thing of of eldership there and you come to this one woman man they try to use that and then put all the pronouns that are neuter into masculine which mm. isn't um so throughout like this culture, you would often use masculine uh, pronouns um, to refer to um, whole groups, like, hey, you guys. Um, sure. We have, um, is it Tim Freiberg? He's a complementarian. He's actually did a study on the masculine form, the study of the masculine form um, in the New Testament, and found that there's 7,500 to 8,000 cases where the masculine um pronoun is used when it could when it must apply to women as well wow or, or a whole group so I this mean, is even walking we have, into like, a room of a mixed yeah. bag of people and saying hey you guys what's up 
And then everybody yeah, like, Jesus yeah, even up? uses yeah. it. Whoever, whoever would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Mm. I mean, do women get to take up their cross and follow Jesus too? I think so. Yeah. But there it's only masculine. Wow. There's so many instances of this. But the thing also, like when you keep going, when you go into deacons, after it talks about um, women deacons there and Chrysostom, he he indicates that there are women deacons, that it's not deaconesses, they're female deacons and male deacons. Um, well, not even the language is changed. Not even to... the deacon. There, yeah, there's not deaconess. Like Phoebe. It's diaconos or whatever. Yeah. It's just, it's in just the what it is. Feminine form and not a different type of office who do different type of things. Um, wow. So what we have, we have that exact same phrase that a female deacon must be a one woman man. A couple of verses past that. And if we can find one female deacon, we can prove that this is an idiom. Hello, Phoebe. Yeah. Romans 16, one. Yeah. And in Romans 16, I believe it, women are commended four times as often as men in the New yep. Testament church. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you got Junia the Apostle. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So good. Yep. So, yep. so given this, would we say that given a different social construct in the ancient world to where women had. M- access to more education and, and whatever, given more opportunities, we would see more women rising to the top throughout scripture. Yeah. And, and that what we're seeing about going to school, but it's, it's learning the ways of Jesus. Yeah. And getting rid of that. So it'd be in the context of the culture. church community. Yeah. Not, not necessarily going community. to Bible college or whatever. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Within the context wow. of the church community. Wow. So as their increase in knowledge, their responsibilities would increase based on the gift of God on their life. Wow. Yeah. And actually we have in Titus chapter two, uh, verses two, we see um, character described of older men, which is the same as elders. Uh, also in Titus, um, Titus, end of Titus chapter one, uh, we have another list that's very similar to first Timothy chapter three about uh, elders, uh, which also has no, it uses that one woman man thing. Um, which we know is an idiom about faithfulness to your spouse. That's what that one woman man thing is because everything else deals with character. And if a woman can be a one woman man as Chris Awesome's does, then it, it, yeah. a female, it, it means all it is is about matrimony being faithful to your spouse. That's what that and, phrase means. And, and catch us up a little on Chris Austin, um, yeah. Church yeah. father, um, yeah, ancient guy father, that would have, uh, fourth, yeah. fourth century. Um, so he would have been was, close to the situation of yeah, the original church, <laughs> way closer. So for him to say something like that would say, mm-hmm. this was yeah. a thought that it's not new to yeah. us of like, oh, we've stumbled into this new truth. Yeah, We're no, actually I mean, just he, found he, an ancient truth. Yeah. So he calls uh, female deacons, deacons, not deaconesses. He says that a female deacon can be a one woman man. He also calls Junia an apostle, and he says before the fall, um, these are all from him, who he was pretty patriarchal. Like, and he says even before the fall, there was no hierarchy in in the image of God. Wow, all three of those come from him, and he was pretty patriarchal. But we do have all those data points that we can connect to these things to show that he still was wrestling with women in ministry, but he might have been kind of a product of his culture at the time. At right. The same time. 
which we all are, right? Like, yeah, we it's, all are. It's just we all are yeah. trying to work through. Yeah. But yeah, but in in Titus two three, there's a description of what it says. Older women is translated as, but it's the exact same word for elder. There, and it says that they are called to teach. First Timothy two three three four five. Those verses. There. Oh yeah, I'm okay. I'm there. Yeah. Yeah, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. Yeah. So the older the word, women the is word elder. Older there is the exact same word for elder. Elder women, and the, right before that, you got elder men. Wow. So you got an elder woman right there in the Bible. <laughs> wow. Wow. So good, man. So, so, so good. I, I think that, yeah, elders, women can be elders. Uh, there's, there's literally, if you look at Paul's entire list in both of those of the qualification for eldership in the letters of First Timothy and Titus, he commends women on every single one of those points. He encourages them to take on those qualities. And I can, I, I've given you my handout from a class I taught on this, and I have the references for every single one. So if any of your pastors, can we on this um, maybe have a PDF of that available in yeah. the notes of what we post, where people can yeah. grab that and and read through it and stuff? Because that yeah. was so helpful, so helpful. Yeah, let's do it. Um, oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah everything that Paul lists is the quality of an elder. He asks women to do in the letters of First Timothy and Titus. So if a woman can't do it, why would he say you should ascribe to these virtues? Wow. You know, and I mean, the gender neutral pronouns, I mean, if Paul really wanted, if Paul really wanted men to only be elders, he did a horrible job writing it in Greek. Wow. So, so, so do you feel like having access um, to the original language it's it's almost like so much more prevalent. I mean, it like yeah. it just jumps off the page of that being a reality. Yeah, yeah, it makes it three D. I'm not saying that there's anything bad with our translations at all. It's, it's no, sure, it's sure, word. sure. It's the word. It's the word of God, but it, it makes it it makes it more three D. And um, I'm not saying that you have to learn Greek or anything like that to to come to an understanding of salvation or God or anything like that. No, I mean, for sure. For sure. But I mean, this is why God gives the gift of the teacher and he gives the gift of the apostle and like their gifts to, to edify the church. Yeah. Wow. So good, Matt. So good. Yeah. Um, can we, can we look into the Corinthians? Yeah. Let's go. First Corinthians 11. 11. Yeah. So um, because that's another passage that comes up quite a bit uh -huh. in conversation. Yeah, let me flip over there here in my Bible quick. Um, so the whole of 1 Corinthians 11, um, like I say, don't read a Bible verse. The whole context starts. Um, so 1 Corinthians 8 through 14 is one block of the same argument. Um, and it's all about unity and mutuality in the church. Um, we have the whole communion arguments in there about coming to the table as equals, not um, not coming and shaming your brother or sister when you come to the table, not eating too much before they get there, um, basically in disfellowshipping people. The whole thing about the body and the gifts of um, all the lesser gifts are as, as important as the as the gifts that are more, I know, super spiritual. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's sure. Like hospitality is, is as important as speaking in tongues. Um, wow, come on. And, and all of so that. So good, man. Um, and so the whole context of chapter eight through chapter 14 in first Corinthians is all about how every part of the body is an important part of the body. And Christ is the head of the body. 
Um, so he's using the analogy of an entire body. So that's kind of mm. the beginning of First Corinthians. And it starts out First Corinthians 11 um, talking about um, what some interpret as a hierarchical structure, but I think it sets up kind of everything. It, it really talks about um, starting in, I think it's verse three. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and man is the head of woman and woman is the head of, or sorry, and God is the head of Christ. Um, and so that kicks off this whole thing about head coverings, which people kind of kind of get wrong, <laughs> I think, a little bit. Um, so first we need to look at, like, often in our um, modern day interpretation, when we hear the word head, we think of, like, authority, you know, head of finance, head of production, the head of sure. the church <laughs> type things. But I think that um, Paul wanted, if he wanted to use the concept of authority, he would have used a different word. He would have used arche or exousia in Greek but he uses uh, a Greek word kephale here. Um, and according to Greek linguists, kephale did not at the time of Paul carry the meaning of authority. Mm. And wow. so some compelling evidence for this is LSJ is um, a lexicon that compiles sources going all the way back to the ninth century. And all, going all the way back to the ninth century, all the way up until the 20th century, there's not a single reference to that word kephale meaning authority. Wow. So from ninth century all the way up until twentieth, twenty late twenty twentieth century. Um and also um what's his name? Philip Payne references thirty different ancient lexicons that don't that use forty-nine figurative examples of the word kephale, and not a single one of those forty-nine means authority. Wow. Um as well, the Septuagint. So that's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Um, it it uses similar to um, similar to English. We have our head is this thing right here, right? And also we use head as uh, authority. Uh, in Hebrew, it's used the same way. But when they translate from Hebrew into Greek, um, whenever it means authority, they use kephale instead of uh, and instead of arche or exousia. Whenever it means authority, like a prince or something like that, they use exousia or arche. But whenever it means something like uh, the relationship between a man and a woman or other things like that, um, they do not use, they translate rosh into kephale when it doesn't mean authority. Wow. So they could have, they could have used kephale to mean authority, like for all those other things, translating prince as kephale, but no, they use exousia or arche in Greek. So what would the what would the other term that that is used there? What would be the the best understanding of that term? Uh, so like an order, source, like the head, like oh, the source. head of a river, okay. like yeah. the head, like the head of a river. Um, yeah, so what we have where here, it starts. Um, yeah, so let's look at it. Christ is the head of man, so meaning that Jesus is both the creator and the second Adam. He's the source of our new life. Wow. Gotcha. Then you have man is the head of woman, meaning source. Woman came from man. But in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 11, it says that every man since Adam has come from woman. So it makes it equal again. Oh, wow. So just reading a little farther, it actually is saying the exact. Yeah, it corrects it. It gives the balance right in the text. Now, here's the big one that the head of Christ is God. Hmm. 
So, so they're do, equals. Do, they're equals. Do, I mean, according to that's the, the Trinitarian Council, reality, the Christological arguments and decisions that the church made wow. at the Council of Nicaea said that there is co-equality, mutuality in the Godhead. So to, to put a hierarchy in the Godhead is what's called eternal subordination of the son. It was condemned as a heresy. Wow. So the same thing is God is the head of Christ. Is God it, is the like Christ came. In so the it couldn't mean authority, obviously, no. in, in a so lot. Of, and what it means yeah. is Christ came in the incarnation when he came incarnate as a man. His source was the Godhead. He came from the Godhead. Wow. And that's where we follow up where in him dwelt the fullness yep, of the, the Godhead of God. bodily. Wow. Yes. And so the source, wow. of all of it. So yeah. So basically to make that into a authority thing, you create a hair, like you have to affirm a heresy. Wow. So what we would say about God there, we wouldn't say what we'd say about ourselves of what we would say about what it says of God just a little yeah, bit. It's, it's making three different, it's making three different connections, which all have the same thing of source. So, yep. So wow. Christ, the, the source of man, our the source of our salvation is Christ. The, so is this, so this is a trend. Is this, yeah, this kind of, par- it's the perichoresis, the dance, mm-hmm. the movement of, you know, oh, this one's in charge. No, actually this one's in charge. And it's actually just a deference of who's in charge. It's like, yeah. I only reveal the father and then the, yeah. and then the spirit. I don't speak of myself. I just exalt yeah. Jesus. And, and they're all just kind of in this deference of like, um, who's in charge in a sense. Uh, because it's they're so equal in one that they can't one's not over another they're all co-equal and in this beautiful relationship with one another and so that's what they're trying to paint as a marriage relationship of this deference of i'm submitting to you you're submitting to me i'm submitting to you then it's like who's in charge well i only am here to see my wife flourish and she's like well i'm here to see my husband flourish and like we're like so we're just outdoing each other in submission really is the is what the picture there i mean that's exactly what what is it uh romans chapter 12 says outdo one another in honor oh my gosh so good matt wow incredible so, uh, let's get into the head coverings because that's usually uh controversial um sure <laughs> in here so there's a couple interpretations on um on head coverings uh lucy pepiet she's a scholar she puts out sees this kind of as a debate of two voices within this text here so there's the the voice of the men who are in leadership in corinth um that are kind of trying to um basically make women veil and be silent under their authority in church. And Paul is coming against that by refuting. She does a really good job of looking at the rhetoric because it lines up with everything in first Corinthians eight through 14. Like I said, a mutual um, mutuality in the church. Yeah, we're all one body. Yeah. We're working. all one body. Our gifts work together to complement one another. Not one's um, over another. It's we're yeah, all even the gifts that the role. parts of the body that should be covered up are more important, should be considered more important than the others and stuff like that. Um, Cynthia Westfall kind of sees head coverings kind of in an ancient context, but sees it with the same interpretation of leading to equality. So Lucy Pepiat sees that Paul wants the women to uncover their heads. Uh, and Cynthia Westfall takes it that covering was actually a source of honor in that culture um, because out in the Greco-Roman world, actually, like um, the based on your status, people of high status covered their heads. 
people who are pure, um, people who are married, people who had money, but a slave or a sex worker or anything like that, the least of these could not cover their heads. Mm. And so what Paul so that was a sign of account, honor and, and chastity and yeah, yeah, yeah honor wow. and chastity in the in, in the Greco Roman world. We even have wow. Claudius making an edict saying that all women who basically weren't uh that were slaves or prostitutes were not allowed to cover their heads and they were then open if you didn't if you knew that someone um was had had a head uncovered um they were sexually available wow because so he's like when hair, you're talking let people yeah. know that that you are in covenant with christ yeah. covenant with this community and you are yeah. not part of this system mm -hmm. out here yeah. or, or whatever wow because according to what we know in the ancient Greco-Roman, like hair was the most sexual part of the body, like in that culture. Gotcha. We'd see other things as the most like attractive kind of in our culture, but in that culture, hair was the thing. Wow. And so this, like you can, you can so see the modesty would have been expressed in, do I have a head covering? covering? Am I in yep. covenant with a man or, or what? That would have been the sign. And when women dressed up their hair with gold and jewelry and stuff like that, it flaunted their wealth as well as their sexuality. Oh, wow. So instead of wearing something revealing, they would have had their hair done in a way that would have, and then that would have turned men, whoa, wow, who's that? That would have yeah. been a way a lot to of, get attention. A lot of them we see like wouldn't cover their hair, but would put it up. But when they put it up, it meant modesty because um, it's when they let your hair down. That's why it's so scandalous when the woman um, with the oil oh, washed Jesus's feet. With washed his feet. Wow. Come on. Because like she's like communicating intimacy. Wow. And, that. and they're so like, the what is going on here? The disciples are like, here. this yeah. is crazy. Mm -hmm. Like this can't be happening. And he's yeah. like, no, this story is going to be told forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Like this is, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. So when they would put their hair up, they'd usually dress it up because that was kind of modest. Also, it kind of served as a hair covering at times, like when you put it up like in a bun or whatever on top of your head because you wouldn't let it out. Um, but then they would dress it up with gold and jewels and flaunt their wealth, the people who wow. did that. And so that's kind of a lot of what's going on here as well. So I kind of lean more towards Cynthia Westfall's, the one that hair covering. It makes the most the, sense hearing both. It feels yeah. like that one makes and, the most And the sense. whole thing of, they said the whole reason why you should do this is because of angels. I think they're referring back to the Genesis 6, uh, sons of oh, God, daughters of men thing wow. and the sexuality thing. And so the watchers, the, beings, the watchers, it's like, cover your hair girls, because yep. these divine beings are looking to, you know, yeah. wow. And so that that's kind of how I take it. And, and kind of in here, too, it says that women, like people take, like, and skew the image of God here, um, where it talks about women being created for men. Um, but there's a few things we need to notice in that is that where it says woman is created for man, it supports the phrase that woman is the glory of humanity. And so when we think of man as head, woman is the crown, not the neck. Wow. Cause that's what I'd always heard is like, you might be the head, the but I'm turns the head, but I'm the neck that turns the head and everybody laughs. No. Ah, ah, ah. But this is says that woman is the glory of man and glory is a, like, you can see that it's a crown that you wear. Wow. So woman is, it's not saying that she's subordinate, but she's actually like the glory and the beauty of the image of God. Wow. So good, yeah. Matt. Yeah. And so, so Basically, when we silence and sideline women, like we're like basically silencing half of 
like our evangelists, half of our image bearing capacity when we do that. Um, and in this, well, I, look passage, at, I look at my church, even let's just talk about, and we won't talk about this, but just mentioning, because <laughs> this mm-hmm. is a whole other conversation. But when I look at, even in my fellowship, there's three ladies that stick out that are, they are soul winners and they fill pews, they fill mm-hmm. rows. And, and with, yeah, the, and it's, so to your point, it's just like, yeah, if I'm looking at the reality or the function of what is going on and not trying to, you know, put on some kind of perspective that makes me feel better about, but if I just look at the function of how things are working and honor and just say, God's obviously doing this, that's how it's working. A lot of times it's like, um, women stepping up and filling roles that, and just hitting it out of the park, just to be honest. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I totally, um, agree there. Um, so part of like the head covering thing there is that Paul is saying that all of either, all of you uncover, all of you cover, whichever perspective you take so that you're all equal. And that's like the big thing about it. Wow. So that you're all equal. And even like, um, first Corinthians eleven ten, um, there's a lot of translations that will say that, um, basically that you need a symbol of authority on your head. I don't know what your translation there says. First, um, uh, that is 10. why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Is that to your point of the Genesis sixth? Yes. So symbol of is not in the Greek text. Ah, okay. So it says so, a woman must have authority on her head. Now, if you look at this in Greek, the way Greek grammar works, so the word authority is in grammatical feminine. The word, the word, um, so authority and woman are both in grammatical feminine, which means that they connect together. So the authority belongs to the woman. That's why a woman must have authority over her own head. Wow. So nobody's going to be. Yeah. So if you translate head as nobody's man, putting this thing on her, making her, she's, she's they're saying you have the authority, authority to put this, to, to put this on your own head, on. no matter yes. what anybody says. Yeah, so if a sex worker got saved yeah. and wasn't married, Paul says, put that on your head because in this community and in this context, You're you have control over your own head. You don't let the Roman uh, government or the society tell you if your head's covered or not in this place, in this house church or however the context looked, you cover your own head. You have authority to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this was actually an honoring thing that was happening. Oh yeah. They're not coming oh, under the, sub- they're not coming under the authority of a man or having to have a covering They're They're Paul is saying that you're part of this co-equal community. So you cover your head. It doesn't matter. You come you out of sex work. If you're you come sex out work, of this, you're, you're not married. Like Who highest. cares? Put it on. Yeah. When you're prophesying and you're speaking, you put this on because you're just as honored as anybody else in this room. Yep. And that's first Corinthians <sighs> 11. <laughs> so, and then that goes right into communion where he's talking about coming to the table as equals that some of that there's factions among you and that you're there's backbiting and that there's some coming drunk and all of this. He's like, you're not really celebrating the Lord's supper because there's, there's this hierarchical division between the, the rich and the least of these. It feels like the Lord saying Babylon is not allowed to come in those doors. Yep. Amen. <laughs> it's like, this is the Edenic. This is Eden. 
And this is the place where everybody gets provision. Everybody's taken care of. Everybody's co-equals. The hierarchical stuff, that stays in Babylon. That's the principalities and powers. That's their game is a yep. power struggle. And then we see it in Jesus, right? He's always handing himself over to the authorities and saying, do what you want. Do what you want. And through that submission, he's like toppling the demonic realm. And it's like, it's just plain as day, but I think there are part of us just wants to be in this struggle. First Corinthians two talks about living out the upside down wisdom in the church. And when we do that, we put the principalities and powers to shame. Oh my goodness. And so Paul addresses that uh, earlier at the very beginning of his letter in first Corinthians two. So good, Matt. Uh, Eye opening. Um, Let's look at, Let's look at the Ephesians 5. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is another I, submit text, and I know that... That one that you... one comes up a lot um, in conversation as well with, with people trying to work their way through these texts and, and be a good Berean, and so uh, shed any light on there you want to share. Right. Um, so most people, like if you look in your Bible, let me turn over actually to Ephesians 2 here. Yeah, is 21 even going to be in the text? <laughs> yeah, that's the, verse that's 21. the question that people often, pages over here, sorry. All right, um, so yeah, so like in my Bible here in front of me, I think both of them here, I have um, started like right above verse 22, it says the Christian household. Usually yeah. you have like a subheading there. Does yours have anything, Matt? Wives and husbands. Yep. All right. <laughs> so I'm like these. All right. So I just want to tell you guys, like your little subheadings there um, aren't part of the authoritative text. Um, right. And so the whole context flows like from much earlier. And I'm like, wow. even if we go back a verse and say verse 21, just start there. A lot of them will divorce verse 21 from verse 22 thinking that 22 is starting a new argument but he's continuing the same argument of singing to one another and that's how it reads that's Uh how it reads but when you look at it you're like oh wait we just jumped switch gears here mid-sentence or mid-thought verse 21 says submit to one another out of reverence for christ that's where it starts right submit to one another all right so that word submit or some say be subject um is the greek word hupotasso so hupotasso does not mean obey wow it means to voluntarily yield to one another wow mutual submission yeah mutual submission um if paul wanted to say obey he could have used the greek word hupokaio which he does use later for children obey your parents and slaves obey masters um but most often in the Bible, that word hupakaio is reserved for a believer's relationship to God. Hmm. But he does not use that for husbands and wives. And what is that word again for that? Uh, hupatasso. Hupatasso. Okay. Yep. So similar Hupa- sounding, but... Yeah, but- hupakaio <laughs> is the Greek word for, um, for obey. Hupatasso is what he uses here for voluntarily yielding to one another, submitting mutual submission. Wow. Uh, it's the same word that's used in like Romans 13 for submit to the governing authorities. Doesn't mean obey, but I mean, Peter says we obey God rather than men. We hupakaio wow. God rather than men. Not hupatasso. Yeah, no. It wouldn't even work there. It wouldn't, wouldn't even work there. Sense. Yeah. And so. Oh my goodness. 
Yep. So what we have here, uh, starting out, submitting to one another frames the whole thing. It's the husbands and the wives. It's everybody in the church submitting to one another. He switches then to the marriage relationship in um, in verse 22, um, which the words, uh, how does yours read in verse 22? Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. All right. That word submit is not in the Greek text. Hmm. Okay. Wives to your husbands. <laughs> it just says wives to your husbands as to the Lord. So all of this is based in allegiance to Jesus hmm. is the reason that we submit and we serve one another. Um, so basically we need to ask, is this one way submission as most to take it or two way submission? Wow. So we need to ask that question. I'm like, it says here for wives to your husbands, but that's flowing right off of submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wow. So so putting those together, so the hupotasso is not even in verse 22 after wives. No, not at all. It just says wives to your husbands. This Going is put that, there for clarity, I'm assuming. Yeah, of, uh, yeah it's put it in there sense. for clarity, but it's saying, all right, here, wives, here's how you submit to your husbands. And then later he goes into husbands. Here's how you submit to your wives. Wow. You know, this is so funny because I was thinking, you know what? This is, let's get a 20 minute overview. This is so fascinating. I'm just like, this is. This is so much, I mean, it's so replete. It's almost like, what do I have to leave out to make this case? Because there's so much evidence yeah. to the contrary of what we would think is the truth. Yeah. In our context. It's so crazy. Okay. Keep going, Matt. This is so good. Yeah. So, so as, as you keep going through, it's, it's basically, uh, it uses head headship language again, the, um, husband, uh, Christ is the head of the church. It's, um, so a husband is the head of the wife source again. Kephale, this husband or the source of the wife. So basically just as Adam and Eve, Adam was the source of Eve. They were the first husband and wife. And then you got as Christ is the head of the church. The church came from Christ, right? Source. Source language again. Um, and just as the church is submits to Christ. Wives also submit in all things to your husbands. So that's the charge to the wives. Now, wives in this culture really didn't need to be told how to submit because that was the thing of the household code. Now, the brilliant thing here that Paul does is no Greco-Roman household code ever addressed the wives. So right off the bat here, Paul is usurping the Aristotelian from Aristotle household codes because it was only addressed to the man and the man would tell everybody else what to do. But Paul wow. is giving agency to the women here. So even just mentioning women would have been yep. radical off radical, like to yep, us, we because, look back and we go, Hmm, like hmm, wives submit to your husbands. I mean, yeah. well, I mean the fact that he even addresses them first and before the men is completely he's turning usurping. it upside down. Right he, off. He's completely usurping the Greco Roman household cult here. Wow. And he's, he, ever, as I read this, I'm like, he's trying to get us back to the Eden. Like he yeah. will not compromise Eden for the church. He's like, no, nope, I mean, heaven's coming to earth. We're redoing what God's intentional plan was, and this is how it works. Yeah. And I mean, and the way that he oh. defines head here, he could have said that basically, all right, Christ is the is the head of the church. He uses kephale there. He could have used those authority language there instead of kephale. He could have used Christ as the exousia or the arche of the church, the ruler of the church. 
But instead, he says Christ is the head of the church, kephale in Greek, and he defines kephale as savior, the deliverer of the body. Wow. Instead of saying that Christ is the arche, the ruler, the the authority of the body. I mean, yes, we know Christ is the authority of the body. Absolutely. But it's but what kind of authority? It's an authority authority? that he gives himself to to us. Philippians two. I mean, he made himself a servant. Look at the Last Supper. He watched people speak. And and this, yeah, and and that's one thing I noticed in John thirteen is it said during the as he's having this time with his disciples, it says that he remember where he came from, Mm -hmm. and then he started washing feet. It's almost like he got a picture of the Father and said, "Oh yeah, this is what Dad would do right here." Yeah, and he started washing feet, and I'm just like. This authority and power dynamic that we have as a church is just, it's so different than what Christ is actually um, showing us all throughout scripture. Yeah. So if we keep going in the husband's part, this part's interesting also. It says, husbands, love your wives. Um, And now Paul's talking about how the husbands submit and yield out of reverence for Christ and loving their wives. So he's showing us the other side of the coin here. Yeah. Yeah. And he spends more time on the husbands because, like I said, the wives knew how to submit in this culture because they were told it every day. Husbands don't know how to do that in this culture. So, so he has to spend more. So here. he's spending more time saying, all right, now here's how you're going to you're going to actually like die for them. And they're like, yep. what? No, they die yep. for me. <laughs> it's like, yep, no, you yeah. die for them. Oh, my goodness. Wow. If you look at verses like 26 through 29, it makes a whole bunch of allusions to household chores and kind of makes them spiritual there he's like uh oh read it yeah show us show us this is so good it it talks about um the husbands washing their wives with the word it's basically they're doing the laundry for their wives with the word (laughs) as they're serving you in this context you're to get the word and to make your ministry about making sure they're flourishing and they're they're who they need to be oh my yeah and then after that it it tells them to cherish and nurture their wives and now these in the Greco-Roman culture were feminine qualities. Wow. And so he's telling them basically these, and, and they, these qualities were the qualities of submission and subjugation kind of in the Greco-Roman culture. But he's telling the men to do that. So he's like, man, you want to be in charge? You want to be a man? You wash them with you the cherish. word. You, you cherish, you nurture. You nurture. Yep. Oh he's telling goodness. the men to take on these loving qualities and, he's supposed to treat his wife as his own body. And if there's nothing more mutual in this text than that, I don't know what there is. That means there's no hierarchy. Wow. Love them the way you would love your own body. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then it ends. He who loves his wife loves himself. Yeah. So it's like, if you want to know if you love yourself or not, how do you treat your wife? Wife. Does it be a direct, Oh my goodness. I mean, it's like, it's how have I never your, seen this in some kind of way? You no, know, it's, just, it's not lording over them. It's amazing. I mean, it's get, giving your life up for them. I mean, and then verse 22 and 23, it's calls husbands to love and wives to respect. And now some have taken this to like, there's a whole like curriculum called love and respect, which I don't love. I don't hate it. Um, there's some good stuff in it, some bad stuff in it, I think. But some have taken this that, well, husbands just need respect and wives just need love. But, and maybe that's true more often than not, but um Titus 2, 4, Paul teaches wives to love their husbands as well. And wow. 1 Peter 3, 7, he tells husbands to respect and honor their wives. So it goes both wow. ways in the scripture. Wow. It's not just one just needs one. Wives need respect too and love. Husbands need love and respect. You know, and, and so what's entire... so cool? 
that what's so cool about this, Matt, is like you're not doing a bunch of gymnastics here to to make this. We're not having to do a mental gymnastics and turn a blind. I mean, we're just taking the text. Yeah, we're reading it. The problematic text. And we are reading it and and inserting just culture and language and nuance. And it's it's right there. It's just yeah. right there. It is right there. If anything, these are scriptures that actually point to the egalitarian argument, not undo it. It's like the treasure is actually in the thing that we think is that that we've got to deal with in order to, you know, make it work. It's like, no, it's actually really clear and plain right here. Yeah. I think that sometimes like with the egalitarian thing that people get wrong is they think that all right, so now we need to take men out of leadership to put women into leadership. And that's like yeah, the whole no. like, so the power structure is like this, like men up top and women down here. And now we need to do like this. And, and that's no, where that's the like kind feminist of, and these other yeah, qualities the come in. And all that. But it's instead of like this, it's this, you know, equal footing. Yeah. The Lord is trying to to bring about this reality, not, instead of, not the other way around. It's not like wow. women over men or men over women. It's men and women imaging God together bearing god's name together doing the ministry of the garden of eden together in the church because we're living in the new creation like i mean yeah it's an already not yet thing but we should be living as if it was here in the church because we are the kingdom of god like hmm. present here on earth wow and wow so, I don't so, know why so he's bouncing the skills the yeah, yeah i don't know why we live by the fall of subjugating women and and I think that's what it comes to with the with the, any kind of power struggle is we think to get power we're gonna have to take it from someone else. Yeah, I mean, when the Lord never grabs power like that. People. No, He empowered people. He came under them. It's power. Like I love the way Greg Boyd describes it is that it's power under, not power over. Wow, it's the power to lift people up, not the Come power on. to put people down. <laughs> that's so good. Yeah. Okay, okay, Matt. Let's um let's look at First Peter three really quick. Yeah. Um. So um, you add verses. Let me flip over. Uh, three, one through six. I think. Six. I'm gonna um, throw in seven. And this is and, yeah, throw in seven too because this is <laughs> this is a least. First. This is a least uh, the least common thing brought to my attention when I when I'm in conversations about yeah. this, but it does come up, and so um I was curious about. Uh, how yeah. you would treat this text as well. Yeah. Um, so let me just read that. Uh, wives in the same way, be subject to your husbands so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by their wives' conduct. They will see the purity and respect your conduct. Do not adorn yourselves outwardly by braided hair and by wearing gold ornaments or fine clothing, but rather let your adornment be in the inner self with the lasting beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in God's sight. It was in this way long ago that holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by being subject to their husbands. The Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. You have become her daughters as long as you do what is good and never let fears alarm you. All right. So um, next is another, it's an example of, uh, the context here is so if you go all the way back to kind of the middle of chapter two in first Peter, Peter is giving three examples of submission. So you have um, basically the people of God 
as exiles under kings on earth, under the principalities. And how powers. to live in Babylon when you're part of this Babylon. new kingdom. Yep. And so all of this is phrased the entire letter of first Peter, which we're starting a series on that at our church uh, starting next week um, is um, all about living as exiles in this world. So if you're living as foreigners and strangers in Babylon. Um, so there's, that is the first one. The second one is um, slaves and masters. With slaves with unbelieving masters, specifically. Um, so believing slaves with unbelieving masters. It goes then into the example of Christ's sufferings under the principalities and powers and how his attitude was under that. Then it goes into the wives section here. It's wives with pagan husbands is the context. Wow. So all three of these examples. So it starts out first. So he's like, if you're wanting to win, you're a this pagan isn't husband. Your pagan husband, like this, this is a is Christian a, husband wife. You're gonna out, so it's like you're in Babylon and your husband's <laughs> a citizen of Babylon, yep. and it's not come into new creation. creation. So here's how you're gonna pull them in. It's gonna be the way Christ did, and that's you're gonna have to serve and submit and yep, and kind of do this. Wow, wow, yep. and and so that the the first six verses of that the reason i wanted to bring in verse seven which we'll touch on is that is verse seven is how christian husbands and wives live together and so mm. we'll look at that here in a little bit first let me go okay, through sure. verse one through six um unbelieving wives husbands submit again hupatasso not hupakayo it's not obey it's voluntarily yield and remember it's to your own husband not every male is what it says there wow and so to your own husband not to somebody else's husband or some other wow. male yeah so, so this is a someone you're in covenant with um, yep, it says that in verse one and verse five there. Um, so Peter's wow. calling that submission, um, but it's not obey. Um, and then it talks about adornment. We talked about that with the hair stuff back in first Corinthians 11. Um, same thing, not don't adorn yourself with your riches and all that, but adorn yourself with virtue, like the virtues and behavior that reflects Christ. Hmm rather than that of the society. So he's telling them that, yeah, your husband might be living in Babylon, but you don't live in Babylon with him. Wow. But you're showing him a better way. You're showing him a better way. Wow. And probably the most uh, like contested part of this is the whole Abraham and Sarah thing about calling sure. him Lord. Yeah, I told my wife, it. I need you to start calling me Lord, but that yeah. wouldn't work because yeah, no. I'm in new creation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I yeah. said, I'm just going to prophesy that over my wife right now. <laughs> so, yeah. so Lord here could be similar to sir today. Okay. Um, like respectful terms. Yeah. He's telling his wife to be the wife to be respectful basically yeah. to their pagan husband, because the whole Which thing is, is just common courtesy. Yeah. It's how it should work. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even. Wow. Yeah. And so it's interesting, the reference here of Sarah calling Abraham Lord, it only happens one time in the whole Abraham story where Sarah calls Abraham Lord. That's Genesis 18, 12. And this is the only time it happens. And Sarah's sarcastic when she does it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So the whole. So thing he takes is, the sarcasm of that and then uses yeah. it as, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so the whole thing there is like, um, remember Abraham's promise that he's going to have this miracle child. Yeah. Um, and is this where circumcision would come in at, in 18? Um, yeah. Ar around here. Yeah. Um, but the whole thing, uh, there is like, so, um, you know, the three angels or God, the Trinity, Oh yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. And yeah. they're telling Abraham that you're going to have, have a, uh, she laughs. Sarah, 
Sarah overhears it and laughs, and that's when yeah. she calls him Lord. Oh my goodness! And because she she laughs because she's, she's like, oh yeah, have... I'm sure he's able yeah. to do that yeah. at this point in life that, or whatever. Yeah, and the whole mocking thing is like, yeah, she's mocking him because he's old and she has to have sex with an old man to conceive. Yeah, and <laughs> then the idea so, is the the uh, God is not mocked though, and so yeah. even in our mocking, yeah. he's not yeah. mocked. Oh he's my mocked. goodness! But the whole context tying back in there is maybe these women who are Christians and have pagan husbands are depriving intimacy from their pagan husbands. Okay. And so it connects to the Abraham story and calling him Lord, where even in her old age, God says, hey, have a, have a child. Yeah. And maybe they're tempted to, oh, well, is this like gonna like stain me or whatever? Because my husband were unequally yoked and this, that, or right. should I, should I abstain from my pagan husband, whatever? And so basically Paul's saying in this, no. He's like, yeah win them over with your virtue, still be committed to your covenant marriage, even if your husband's a pagan, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and then the... Paul, and then Paul picks this up in seven in yeah. Corinthians seven, where he's like, yeah. basically like, if they'll let you be a Christian and they're not hindering that, yeah. then like stay, stay in it, you know, mm -hmm. keep, keep, keep yeah. on ahead. Well, yeah. And the whole thing with um, Greco-Roman marriages, um, in the household codes, the women were forced to take on the God of their husband. Wow. So here, that's so even being saying, subversive here. Yeah, it's being subversive. He's saying, don't take on the God of your husband, but he's not, he's like, be of such virtue that you're going to convert him. Wow. And that's another point, right? I, I don't, and you can help me on this. I don't think that women were able to even permit divorce. Like they weren't able to get, the men were the only ones that were able to divorce. Is that true? Or is that? Yeah. I mean, in the, I believe in the Greco Roman culture, that was kind of, kind of it. I think maybe um, there were some exceptions were if some they were rich or wealthy or yeah. 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 And yeah. So there, there so is really it they were, would have felt trapped in a sense. And, and Paul might be saying, and Peter here is saying, uh, work within this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Greco Roman, like in the Aristotelian household codes, Aristotle, like, and this is what everybody went by. Like the husband had the power of life and death in the household. Yeah. And so a woman not submitting to her husband's gods and they thought, oh, well, that's going to bring judgment on our house and this, that, and the other. And so that whole thing there would be just a, just a, um, social mess, but wow. he's saying that have such great virtue in your yielding to your husband that you might win him over. Wow. So, and this, then this isn't about Christian marriages. So let's look at Christian marriages. Now the verse okay. seven, Paul talks about Christian marriages. So um say three verse seven husbands in the same way show consideration for your wives in the way you live together paying honor to the women so that's respect also there um though the weaker vessel they are joint heirs in the gracious gift of life so that nothing may hinder your prayers wow all right so when peter addresses men here verse seven it's after the women again remember ephesians in yeah. the household codes, these are household codes that he's addressing. He's doing it not the Aristotle way where you didn't even talk to women, slaves, or children, but he's talking to women, slaves, and children, and he's talking wow. to the women before the men. And then now says they're all the one in Christ. Yeah. And That's so amazing. throughout this, um, it shows that it's actually upside down. There's a culture of equality. Um, Paul's thoughts or Peter's thoughts on women are way different than uh, the Roman culture. Um 
So let's talk about like most people get hanging up on the the weaker vessel or whatever there, that section in in this verse. So it's uh it's sukos in in Greek and it can mean body, it can mean vessel, it can mean person. Um, but Peter makes it clear here that there's equality amongst the sexes. He says um things like co-heirs and living together in an understanding way. All of that communicates something different than the previous six verses. And so you, you have that. Yeah. Um, and if so you they'd be at, praying and yeah. that just the prayer alone would say, this is a Christian. This is in the context of a Christian, a Christian marriage. marriage. Yeah. Yep. Um, so they, he wouldn't be addressing non-Christian men in this verse. Cause this is written to the church. So, yeah. Um, so if we look at the three examples, remember, um, the church under um, the principalities and powers, the kings is yep. example one, slaves with non-Christian masters, mm-hmm. wives with pagan husbands. What are all these? Social situations, right? Wow. Yeah. Not It's not dealing about the physicality or the body of any different person here. It's all different social situations. So the weaker vessel is women in the Greco-Roman culture were on a lower tier in the social structure than the men were. So the men are supposed to deal or are supposed to live in an understanding way with the women in order to lift them up power under hmm. rather than power over. And that's the way wow. that they're supposed to, they're supposed to lift them up into equality within the church because wow. outside so, the church, they are the weaker vessel in society. So you're using your power to lift up, not to Lord over. Yep. And wow. that's, basically what it says here it says they're fellow heirs of grace um and rep and you if you notice here there's no talk about submission or subjection between the believing husband and wife in this verse that's only between the pagan husband and wife wow and peter so that's where that term that would come up it's interesting at the end peter concludes with this which is kind of a a warning that if you your prayers won't be heard if you live like the pagans if you're taking wow. on that patriarchal mindset, God says, I'm putting up a block between me and you and your prayers because you're living like Babylon. Wow. Wow. So that you could have this worldly construct, but have some kind of Christian underpinnings and it would actually hinder the flow of life yeah. that would could, could possibly go forward had you adopted... Um, the reality that God's trying to set up in these yep. social codes. Wow. Yep. Wow. And he's telling the Christian, the Christian husbands, if you live, if you live like all those other three examples and not the way of Christ that he had sandwiched in the middle, that he's like, if you live in that way, then like your prayers are going to be hindered because wow. you look more like the world than you look like Jesus. Yeah. And I think the fear and and as me and my wife have had our conversations because my wife is is pretty vocal um and so it will bring up sometimes conversations of you know these texts or different things and i've always um tried to empower my wife mm-hmm. and and what i'm finding is is that the more i will do like what you're saying is have the power and really honor and lift her up it doesn't result in in this thing of where she gets this idea that you know she's in charge and I'm not it's like it actually enhances 
how she lifts and honors me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not, you're not losing anything here. <laughs> That's oh. what I want to tell people. I mean, it's like, if you'll because, lean into this, yeah. you're going to like reap the benefits of a healthy marriage of a health, a healthy ministry structure. Um, you're going to have someone in your corner that is actually going to be more passionate about um, yeah. serving and helping you than you ever will the other way around. Yeah. I think we also need to lift up like, not just like you've talked a lot about marriage here, but those that are single, like Paul in first Corinthians speak seven, to that, speak like, to that lifts up singleness. And if you take that one woman, man thing back in the eldership part to be like, Oh, you have to be married. We disqualify Paul. We disqualify Jesus. We disqualify almost all the apostles from being elders. in our Jesus church. couldn't be an elder in your church. In the, if that in means that being married. <laughs> and so I think it's descriptive of stuff that oh, he wants to goodness. see, but it's not like, the end of the list you know it's not like obey this or else yeah it's like here's some good structural things because you're he does say that dedicated you got more you have less distractions in the ministry when you're that's what he says if you cannot burn be single Mm -hmm. so to think that those the marriage stuff in first corinthians 7 as well because it's all mutuality there when they jump to ephesians 5 or Colossians three or things like that. When it's all like, all right, uh, husband, your wife's body belongs to you, but uh, wives, your husband's body belongs to you. And that was radical in the ancient world. Wow. Because women were like property. So it's like, of course I own her, but she doesn't own me. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 pal, you own her, but yes, she owns you too. Yep. And so I don't think that, I think that we need to wow. elevate singleness in their gifts as well in the church, because often people are just waiting to get married in order to, especially with women. I mean, in the church, I see that uh, they can't, some of them feel like I've talked to in my church, like feel like they can't be used until they're married. But like Paul elevates singleness, even above marriage at times. Wow. Like marriage is a good thing. I'm like, well, I can tell you this. I'd come closer to using a single woman than a man, <laughs> you know, honestly. Yep. And that's, I think it's in the context of widows with Paul there, right? Would yeah. that be? And, and, and widows. So he's saying, like, hey, been, we need you. Been, yeah, there's been some idioms that the term widow didn't necessarily mean. And there's a lot of evidence for this in the Greco Roman world that widow didn't necessarily mean that your husband died. But that was kind of the term for elder, women elder in the ancient world. Crazy. There's been a couple dissertations on that in, in books um, and even inscriptions um, on CBE, Society, uh, was it Center for Biblical Equality, CBE.com, I think it is, or something like that. There's an article called um, Proof of the Ordination of Women in the in the Early Church. And they have like a whole bunch of stuff on like widows not necessarily meaning that like they were widowed, like their husbands died, but that that was a leadership position potentially in the early church that was called a widow. Um, oh my goodness. So empowering. And the deeper you dive, the more empowering you find that these terms yeah. aren't to be mm-hmm. disparaging or no. that these are actually terms that are saying mm-hmm. these are honor. This is honor here. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of evidence in the first four centuries of the church of women in leadership positions um, in the church. It wasn't until kind of Constantine and the the shift there um, that happened when really um, the authoritative um, 
institutional structure really got like finalized in the church and which started barring women from these positions because you had traveling evangelists, traveling apostles, traveling prophets that were all all women. Um, we have evidence of Christian women um, serving at the altar in the first four centuries. The Montanists have a whole lot of information on this, which some people think they're heretics, but there's a lot of evidence. Well, they had, there was good and bad. There was good and bad. They were the spirit-filled group in the early church. Right. And, and they um, had some things just like spirit-filled yeah, sections else. have right now yeah. where it's like but some things. a lot of are... early church fathers who attest to their orthodoxy. Wow. Belief. You know, man, this is so good. We need to we need to pick up down the road. I would love to talk about Constantine in that third and yeah. in the fourth century. You know, and and how I would love to kind of do a dive there as well with you, yeah. Um, and kind of see. Yeah, I wrote a lot on Constantine in my dissertation. Right, I would love to to do that because um, how much came into the church that you know wasn't there before that and and things we've adopted that are anyway that's a whole other conversation uh matt this is so good matt and thank you so much for doing this um sorry for being long-winded no (laughs) this we had to be because it's it's too important um this you know in my mind i said well it's you know a 20 minute flyover so that people will watch it but i'm like you know we can't, you can't do it justice. It's too important. It's too important. And, and I mean, we just skimmed the surface really today. We didn't even get to get into the overarching story of, um, of what God's doing. Even, I even wanted to get into revelation a little bit to see how the Lord talks about the bride and how precious she is. And, and anyway, but maybe, maybe we'll do a part two. Um, but anyway, this is just beautiful. Thank you so much, Matt. And, um, I just want to commend your ministry and, um, and what God's doing in your life and, and, uh, congratulations on getting your doctorate and all the hard work, um, that you put forth and we just love you, man. And so this is so cool. And, uh, you, you, your voice needs to be heard. And, um, I know you have a successful podcast already, um, that you're a part of with your, with your friend. Um, but I hope that this helps people in my tribe, in my stream, and helps um, helps you to be heard even more of what God's doing in your heart and in your life. And so uh, Thanks, I hope man. I can be a little part of that. So All right. it's so good talking with you, Matt. I, I've loved to uh, kind of spend the last year or so in a yeah. pastoral mentorship with group with you and uh, love what's going on there at Lakeview Assembly and seeing all that you guys are doing and um, praying for you often. So God Man, bless you. hopefully, you. Uh, hopefully uh, this will help all those that uh, you share it with in your movement. For sure. Thank you so much, man. Love you. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yep. God bless. All right. God bless.